if you walk in a room with three different things, there's three things that people will automatically like soften and like connect with. And it just kind of brings down the walls and opens the doors. And one's a baby. If you walk in there with a baby, everyone is just innocent and approachable and just people connect. Um, or puppy, always the same response, but also flowers. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 134 of the Command of Voice. Today, I speak with the founder of the Growing Kindness Project. Please welcome Deanna Kitchen. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Camino Voice podcast, where I interview local business owners, comedians, singers, and more. I dive into their backstory to find out how they got where they are, what are some of the tips for you to do the same, and find out where they're going. Tune in every week as I interview more of the people you see every day. Hey Islanders and welcome back to another episode of the Commando Voice where we release a new episode every Tuesday. Did you guys catch it? Did you see it? Did you hear it? I guess you won't see it because we're on a podcast, but did you hear it? We just, this is our first episode that we're doing the new intro. I haven't changed the intro since I uh, started this podcast uh, in 2019. So look at that. We're evolving. We're growing. Um, anyways, hope you guys' week is going well. Um, I got excited that I got to change that, so it's very exciting to change the uh, intro. Um, so today, I will be interviewing uh, Deanna Kitchen, who is the founder of the Growing Kindness Project. Um, and she started this project as a secondary thing to a her flower farm, but uh, that just slowly evolved. And then she started this project and you'll get to hear all the different ways that she's been able to reach out and affect so many different people uh, through this, this nonprofit that she started. Uh, the nonprofit is now worldwide. So they actually have people around the world that are involved in this thing. Um, and it's still growing today. So um, you get to hear about all that and more. Um, another thing is, uh, on our Instagram, we will be posting, you know, like we always do like, Hey, new episodes out, uh, in that I'm going to tag, uh, the growing kindness project, uh, their Instagram, um, be sure to send a message out to them, uh, and say, Hey, you guys need to start your podcast because, uh, Deanna is actually, um, saying that she's wanted to start a podcast for quite a while. And, um, she's got these amazing stories around, like I said, around the world that, of how, this project has helped people um, going through a hard time and, and all sorts of other things. And, um, you know, I think we need to get those experiences out there. I think the more good we can pour back into the world, the better. So um, make sure you tag her in an Instagram post and just say, start that podcast. So we would really like to see that get started. So she needs a little more encouragement. So I'm hoping you guys can do that for me. Um, so without further ado, here's my conversation with Deanna Kitchen. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Command of Voice. Today, I'm here with the founder of the Growing Kindness Project. Welcome to the podcast, Deanna Kitchen. Hello. It's so nice to be here. Yeah. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about Deanna. Oh, my goodness. Um, well, where, where do you start? Well, I guess you start where you started. So I um, was born and raised in Forks, Washington. So okay. now that we have Twilight, everybody knows where that is on the map. <laughs> Used to be people would look at you and go, I n- never heard of it. Um, so I grew up with a just really rural upbringing. I mean, Forks is a logging community, um, very geographically isolated from everybody. But because of that, a really close-knit community, really, really supported, connected, um, supporting community. 
Um, so that was just really, I think, kind of woven into the fiber of who I've become. Um, I grew up um, in a family of four, um, so still really close with my family. It's always been the family and community and connections have always kind of been a, a pull on my heart and where I always end up coming back to. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah, born and raised there, so graduated from high school there. Okay. Uh, went on to community college, so I actually um, was the the horse crazy kid in school, um, <laughs> and I thought for a long time that that horses were going to be my life's passion and my career, um, but slowly realized that actually it wasn't so much the horses, but it was the people that I worked with with the horses that I really loved. So I shifted my um, college focus from going into therapeutic riding instruction to elementary school education. Okay. Um, which I'll share in a little bit too, how that all ties together with this big flower story. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of where I got started in our small town. We had a, um, little nursery and a little flower shop. And so we were really limited resource wise as a family and horses are incredibly expensive. Yeah. So my parents (laughs) cheered me on and supported me. Um, but they also said, we, we know you want to do this, but you're gonna have to find a way to fund it. And so my very first job was at a nursery, Okay, um, which led me to a job at the little local flower shop in town, which is still there, still in business. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. And um, that was just, a, it was a point where I kind of began learning about, you know, what it was to to work with plants and to work with flowers. And I really, you know, spent most of my time in the flower shop just kind of being a general helper, but got exposed to the world of flowers. And I loved it, but it never crossed my mind to think that that would be a career path that I would choose. Um, I And at that point in time, really all that we kind of had available to us in terms of like the floral world was you, you opened a brick and mortar flower shop. And that definitely I knew after watching how hard the owner worked and how consuming that career is, um, was like, no, I definitely don't want that. Love flowers, but don't want that. (laughs) Um, but just kind of seeded this thought. It was something that I loved, um, but never thought of it as a potential career. So I went to college, um, to get my bachelor's in elementary education. Okay. And, um, my husband and I got married. We were met in high school got married really young. I turned 20 on our honeymoon. Oh, very cool. I was, it's, it's been, it's been a really, um, incredible experience. I don't know if that's maybe for everybody, but it's been a really incredible experience for us to get to grow up together and grow together like that. So we've now been married longer than we were alive before we got married. Um, don't, don't do the math and you'll figure out how old I am. We, Um, um, uh, my wife and I also, we got married when we were 20. Oh, okay. Um, and so, yeah, we were, uh, and it's funny, when I look back at wedding photos, I remember my parents and even her parents were like, you guys, like, you can, you're so young, you can get married later. Like, what are you rushing this? And we're like, no, like, this is what we want to do. And um, I look back at our pictures, I'm like, I now know why my parents were freaking out, because oh. we were kids. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, our, our oldest child is 14, turning 15. And somebody asked me the other day, because Shane and I got engaged when I was 18. I wasn't even 19 yet. And I just think, oh, what if he came to me in four years and said, hey, I'm getting married. Um, but but at the same time, I think that, yeah, when you, when you have shared life values, when you know, when you're settled in that. And Shane and I both were too. I mean, maybe this was your experience. We were like... 19 going on like 40, like yes. <laughs> really oddly had really, um, you know, 
mature goals and kind of um, life focus. So it just fit and made sense for us. Yeah, we were similar. We um, like our first date, we were talking about like, well, how many kids would you like when you get married? Uh Stuff like that and financial. And like, like on the first date, we we knew more than like, and especially talking to couples later on, they're like, well, have you guys talked about like kids and this and that? And they're like, no, like, isn't that what premarital counseling's for? Yeah. And we're like, oh, <laughs> we talked about it on the first date, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can wait till then. <laughs> like, yeah, we really same. We we were so young, and I think our parents would have died if they would have known when we were seventeen, eighteen. We were talking about like what what would our lives look like together. Um, <laughs> but yes, it's been an incredible journey, and like really, Shane. Shane's story and my story, you know, like are so tightly woven together because we've grown up together and he has been absolutely like the biggest cheerleader of bringing this project to fruition and, um, you know, uh, me like following this flower farming dream. And so our stories just don't really separate because of that. So, Yeah. yeah. So we got married really young. Um, and then I went into elementary education. Okay. And, um, and then we started our family and again, same thing. Like we were pretty young still, but we'd been married for six years. So we felt really mature and old. (laughs) Um, we started our family and then I slowly, um, kind of stepped back from education because I really wanted to have the opportunity to be home with the kids as much as possible. Ironically though, that when we had our second, um, was the same time recession hit. Okay. And Shane's career is in construction. So like, yeah, like everybody else. I mean, like the whole world felt, felt that tremendously, but in in construction industry, especially. And so I had just, um, I just, um, what's the right word? I'm like lacking words to given up my, um, uh, turned in my notice and not, um, um, resigned from my teaching position. And so I was home full time and his, um, the company he was working for went from 150 to two at that time. So we wow. were really like counting every penny and just considering like, how do we, how do we keep the wheels on the bus here? Mm-hmm. And at that time, um, when my kids were really little, I, um, my, when my second was born, I was really struggling with postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, and this all kind of hit the same, you know, perfect storm. But one of the things that was really um, impactful and powerful and helpful to me at that point was getting out in my garden. So when the kids would go down for naps, I would clip the baby monitor on my hip and go out in the yard. And that was like, just so, um, uplifting and grounding and just helpful in that season of life. And so I really spent, and it was free. We could do it for free. (laughs) Yes. Um, And so I spent a lot of time, you know, we bought this old farmhouse that we'd renovated and hadn't like tackled the yard yet. And there were some, um, perennials that were there when we moved in. So it was like, figuring out how to divide perennials and like make the most of what we had. <laughs> but in, in that time, it was kind of also like, um, kind of brought back all these skills that I'd forgotten that I'd had when I worked in the flower shop. And so for fun, I was making bouquets. And one day I had made this beautiful bouquet and was going to, well, I thought it was beautiful. I uh, was going <laughs> to give it to a friend and I was holding it up, looking at it. And I can actually like picture exactly where I was standing in the yard. Yeah. And I had this like aha moment of, I'd pay money for this. Like, wait a minute. I'd pay money for this. Could this be a way that we could, I could still be home with the kids and we could create some income without, you know, having to have a big overhead. And so that was when I launched um, Twig and Vine Farm, which was our just small business. And it's taken, 
it's grown and, and journeyed. I thought when I started out, like, oh, hey, wedding flowers, that's where it's going to be at. Okay. And so started with weddings and really quickly realized that um, that was a really good opportunity. Looking back, you know, you can see in hindsight that when we try to build things from our areas of weakness and not our areas of strength, mm-hmm. it just always feels like an uphill climb. Yeah. And for me, um, the systems and organizations and efficiencies and time management, like it required really successfully pull off weddings were just really difficult. Yeah. That, and we were in a season where we were raising uh, little, little kids and yeah. my husband was working a lot. And so our time together was weekends. And yeah. so we realized like, this isn't actually really what we want. Yeah. Um, it was t- started out really successful right out of the gates for me, just on the scale that we could do it. But so then I shifted to just, I set up a roadside stand and we started selling flowers from our stand. Yeah. I want to uh, jump in real quick. Um, I like to point this out in different points when I hear this in, in podcasts of people that <clears throat> you guys are in this time of life where uh, you guys are really penny pinching and just trying to make ends meet. And you start seeing that there's an opportunity in weddings and um, making money there and that there's this big opportunity there. But because of the family core and, and that being the most important factor, you guys decided no, we're not going to go after that. Mm-hmm. Even though we really, really could use the money, we're not going to go after that. We're going to build it in the way that we feel benefits our family, not you know just after financial or, or any service yeah. like that. So um, just in hindsight and listening to it, it's easy to just roll past it and like, oh, cool, they made like the decision that they enjoyed and stuff. But like for those who have been in financial hardship, like they realize like that in that moment, like you're just trying to keep lights on and like, that's very, very appealing. Um, and so to make the decision to, to make family first is, is a very difficult decision in that circumstance. So yeah, um, it's really cool. It, and it has, I think actually, to be honest, that's really kind of been the story of the business over and over again, um, is it grows, it booms. And then we recognize, wait, what's the best fit for our family? And we've just really over the last, I think we're 10, 11 years in on Twig and Vine, um, have really just realized that it's okay to just keep refining and changing and it doesn't have to be what other people expect it to be and success doesn't have to be what we traditionally define it as. Like at that point in time, that was a financial need and as the time has shifted, it's been like really refining. Like what what do we define as success mm-hmm. and just continuing to refine and shift that. Um, yeah. So and I can share more about that too, as that goes. I, I feel like when you're chronological, like I don't want to like skip fast forward <laughs> now. Um, but yeah, so what happened though, and as we were starting this little business, we and we were only we'd only lived in Stanwood for I think like just a couple of years at that point. And I'd grown up in this like you know upbringing and community of just things being really close knit and connected. And I just was really longing for that. Mm-hmm. And I I think it was probably partly that like getting settled in a new community, but also getting settled in this new season of life of being a stay at home mom and yeah. like longing for those like connections. And so one of the things that I started doing with our children, so our two little boys at that time, was taking flowers down to I can't even remember what it was at that point, but our um retirement home. Okay. Um, here it's uh now it's gonna the name's gonna totally Josephine's Yeah. Uh, so actually um the other retirement home oh. right behind the YMCA. <laughs> the name is like evading me. I'm, that's terrible. Uh, but it, it's changed. It's changed ownership and it's changed names uh, okay. several times. Yeah. But so it was just just across, I mean, just like a mile from our house. And so I would take the boys and just, I can remember the first time I took flowers. Like I wanted to like, I wanted them to experience reaching out in the community 
And I wanted to start building those connections. And I like took our little like, you know, box full of flowers with baby on my hip and one like holding his hand in my pocket. (laughs) And it's like not sure of like how it was going to be received and walked in and the receptionist was like, oh, people will love these. You know, of course we'll, of course we'll share them. Um, And then that really grew over the years um, because it was such a beautiful opportunity. Like one thing that we have experienced over and over again as a family, and one thing that I hear from those who are involved in the Growing Kindness Project over and over again is that Flowers are such a powerful catalyst for connection. Mm-hmm. Um, I jokingly say, and but actually, I kind of seriously think I, I don't have actual hard data to prove it, but <laughs> my my life experience has shown me that if you walk in a room with three different things, there's three things that people will automatically like soften and like connect with, and it just kind of brings down the walls and opens the doors. And one's a baby. If you walk in there with a baby, everyone is just innocent and approachable, and just people connect. Um, or puppy, always the same <laughs> response, but also flowers. And <clears throat> puppies and babies aren't exactly <laughs> always accessible tools for being able to relate to people. And so we just found that like flowers are this very accessible tool that we had to be able to literally open doors. Like, I don't think I would have had the guts to walk into a long, uh, you know, a retirement home and be like, hey, we're just here. We just want to say hi to people. But flowers gave us the purpose to do that. And with that, it just opened the door to be able to make those connections. And so um, we lived right here in Stanwood, actually, um, until I think we were about about six years ago, five and a half years ago. And at that time, and so I was continuing to kind of grow, grow twig and vine, but it was like in in stops and starts again as that, Mm -hmm. like, what's best for our family. So um, I think I had the business kind of really, it was really starting to rock and roll with doing, um, like starting out with some subscription sales and a roadside stand and selling to a local florist that was here in town at that point. Um, and then we found out we were expecting our third baby. Okay. And it was, it was such a reality check that like we have to choose, I have to choose what, um, keeps me sane. And at that point it was just too many irons in the fire. So the business kind of quieted down for a while. And then as Jasper, our littlest, um, got older, we kind of started back up again and we we'd been longing for and looking for for years, um, like a, a forever farm. Yeah. And of course, we'd r- ridden out the waves of the recession, and we're coming out on the other side of it. And things were, you know, stable and like going great for Shane and his career. And the business was starting, you know, Twig and Vine was starting to get its feet under it again. And we bought our farm, we found our farm in Conway, and bought ten acres. Um, and that was when I was like, okay, I'm all in. You know, the kids are big enough. Like I have some some ability to like really get going. Um, and so got really excited, sold subscription bouquets. So it's like a CSA model where yeah. people purchase the bouquet and then we were going to deliver them, you know, at certain time intervals over the summer. Um, did, all, you know, all in, um, had all these expectations and plans for these dahlias that we were going to plant and those fell through at the last minute. So oh, I was no. just standing there like, oh no, what do we do? So mad scrambled and, you know, gratefully, luckily we're able to connect with some community resources and went from not really knowing what we were going to do, not knowing what was going to get planted because we had held out this space for these dahlias and didn't have seeds started. And anyways, long story short, ended up with a lot of dahlias, 500 dahlias actually, uh, was our first little field. And, And what happened with that was, I don't know by you know, just miraculous, felt miraculous. It was a lot of hard work, blood, sweat, and tears, but they just did tremendously. 
And dahlias are what we call cut and come again flowers. So okay. you cut the bloom and then it sends up more blooms. Okay. So you can cut blooms, blooms, blooms all summer long. And so we had just this abundance of flowers. Nice. And we had been all along taking flowers down as we were able to long-term care. But suddenly we had this just like mass abundant bloom of flower, you know, blooms to be able to take and share. And so at that point we started going down weekly and the kids had gotten bigger and they could actually help. So we'd tow this red, what was it? The radio, is it radio flyer? Yeah. Radio yeah. flyer yep. wagon with a squeaky <laughs> wheel. And we'd load it up with flowers and just go down to long-term <clears throat> care or the retirement home at, um, at the, the evening meal, yeah. which was at four o'clock. Um, <laughs> and the kids would go through and hand out bouquets to people. And it was the very best part of any of what we had seeded and grown. Like it was so incredible to get to see the kids, what it did for them and get to be able, it just, it felt like from every perspective, it felt like it was just such a bucket filler. Like Mm -hmm. the, the residents that were receiving flowers were so tremendously grateful. We just walked out of there feeling like our buckets were filled. It felt like we were taking in in a, in a way. Like yeah. it was just so joyful and gratifying and satisfying to be able to give. And then this interesting thing happened. We realized that people who were weren't even receiving flowers, like those who were um, helping in the cafeteria or receptionists or family members who were there visiting, would come up and say, "Like that just made my day." Um, and we realized that in witnessing acts of kindness there's a there's a also we get to enter into it as mm-hmm. well and so it helped me to be a little bit brave about sharing that that what was going on and sharing the story of what we were doing and in that it kind of started these wheels turning um about that the world needs needs more kindness yeah now more than ever and that the w- world needs more happy stories you know social media gets filled with some pretty tough stuff, negative stuff. Yeah. So to be able to like enjoy that experience and get to enter into the inter- the interactions and joy that was there was one thing, but we realized like being able to share it and mm-hmm. like add that happy story to the to to a place where other people could enter in and enjoy it also was really um, impacting. And so um, we kind of started sharing a little bit about that. And it was in that experience of sharing flowers at long-term care, um, a gentleman um, pulled me aside. Well, he didn't really. I mean, he just, I remember I was down on my knees in the bu- you know flower bucket, and he <laughs> leaned down to talk to me, and he said, I just think what you're doing is so special. And to us, it hadn't occurred as, like, we're doing this special thing. It just was what we were doing, and it was joyful, and we yeah. loved it. But, but he said, I wish that everyone in retirement homes like us, like, wish more people like us, all, all, and everywhere else could get to enjoy this. And it was just kind of this seed of a thought, like, why can't this be accessible to more people? Mm-hmm. And so after that first growing season, those 500 dye tubers, <laughs> the really cool thing about dahlias, um, if you're not familiar with them, is they grow from, it's kind of like a potato-like portion of the root. Okay. And so you plant one in the ground in the spring. And then you get all these beautiful blooms all summer. And then you um, dig up the tubers in the fall and store them. And they've multiplied. So sometimes five times, ten times, it can just depend, you know, on the variety and how the growing season was. So you multiply them and you have this exact clone of the plant. So that's how dahlias actually reproduce. Um, I mean, they can grow from seed as well, but they reproduce really prolifically in that way and being able to divide um, divide the, the dye tubers. Okay. So we planted those 500 dahlias. 
we had this abundance of Dahlia tubers. And as I was standing in the barn one day dividing them, which is a pretty labor intensive <laughs> process, um, I realized like just thinking back to the summer and everything that had been and what that gentleman had said to me that I was holding in my hands, actually like the key, like the catalyst to bring that wish to fruition. Mm-hmm. We realized that people wanted to be doing this in their communities, you know, based on what they were sharing from what, what they were um, seeing on social media. And that if we could just equip people with resources to be able to do it, Mm -hmm. it was like, it would be so exponentially powerful. And so that first year we opened our farm, invited anyone who wanted to come um, pick up free Dahlia tubers to do so. And we had over a hundred guests at the farm that day. And we just asked that, that their mission and intent with what they took was that they would gift a bouquet it's it, in their community in some way in kindness mm-hmm. that growing season. And so the response was really incredible. But it was also at that point that we realized that it was one thing to give people like resources, like here you go, here's these value tubers to plant. Yeah. But what was lacking was like education, know how to grow them. Like people wanted to do the thing. Like they wanted to plant the flowers and grow them and give them in their community. Yeah. But they just needed some support and encouragement and education on how to make that happen. And that was how the Growing Kindness Project was born. Okay. So now we're in, I mean, like I count back from that year. That was our fourth year. We're in our second full year as a 501c3 organization. Um, We are now a worldwide team. Wow. Um, so we have people all over the world who are just joining arms and linking um, together in this mission of just saying, hey, flowers are really powerful catalysts for connection in our communities. Yeah. They really communicate kindness and care like nothing else. And they're really accessible to most of us. You know, yeah. we can put a seed in a pot and grow a flower and cut it and hold it out to someone in kindness. And so that's the mission of the project is just to use flowers, grow flowers and use them as catalysts to reach out in our communities. And it's been really, really incredible. You know, first when we started out, I thought like, oh, we really, there's such a need for those like intergenerational connections. And that's where I felt called with my kids to go and give and share. But what's been really beautiful is that every individual in the, in our, in our, on our team all across the world lives in a different community and they have a different, a different, you know, um, heart and love and and eyes to see needs in their community. Mm-hmm. So everybody sees a different need. Yeah. Uh, and some of those, you know, there's there's definitely some similarities, you know, within those, you know, like we have lots of team members who grow and give flowers um, to, to long-term care yeah. um, residents, lots of members who grow and give to shelters. Um, also like many, many people who grow and give to food banks. Um, but then Beyond that, I mean, there's there's needs in communities that are so unique um, and different, and each one of our members just sees that and interprets that and and reaches out. You know, it's we all reach out in the same way with flowers, but it's to say, you're seen, you're cared for, you deserve beauty and kindness in your life, and yeah. so it's really been incredible to just um, let go. I guess would be the best words, and just really let people take this just little it's and it's not a new idea that's the thing it's no, no it's not like we invented like the, the growing kindness project invented growing and giving flowers and kindness like that's been around i'm sure as long as flowers have been but to rally together and do it as a team mm-hmm. with a shared purpose and then with education and resources to support making that happen yeah has been really um 
really empowering for so many people. And so it's been really incredible to watch the more that, um, you know, the more that we invite others into that and the, the ability that it's had to stay a really um, open call to action, you know, and just, it's a very, you know, I, I like this, the, um, that saying, like, make it simple, but make it, make it impactful. And it's really simple. Like you plant some flowers, you grow some flowers, but you can make a tremendous impact in somebody's life and in your community you yeah. know, through that. And I think that's been where the beauty of the project has really, um, it's just really, it's really incredible to see the diverse ways that people interpret that in their communities. So. Yeah. So when you guys were getting started with this, then you had the, the kickoff day. Um, how did you, what prompted you past that to actually turn it into an organization? Right. Great questions. Um, it's been a long journey. Um, and it's, it's at that point too, where we look back and go, wow, never thought, never anticipated this would be where we end up. And yet it feels so full circle and perfect. Like this is where I was supposed to end up. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I shared, you know, starting this small community and connection is just, I don't know if it's just in my very fiber and who I am, that connection is really important to me. Um, and, and so, you know, building, building from that, um, we, you know, we wanted to just create this community around this, this idea of growing and, and sharing flowers. And so, you know, we started out with opening the doors and, and inviting people to the farm to get, get flowers. And as we were sharing the story of giving flowers and then giving Dahlia tubers, so many people were saying like, how can I get involved? How can I be a part of this from all over the nation? And we realized there was such a need that we could meet, even though we had already like given out the Dahlia tubers and we didn't have more resources to give, we could share education and know-how. Yeah. And so one of the things that we learned, you know, along the way was there was some specific things that were really helpful in reaching out, um, reaching out in, in your community with flowers. Um, so we learned some dynamics of um, working with retirement homes. We learned some dynamics of working with food banks. Um, we learned some just some phrasing even, you know, to use when we were gifting flowers to make sure it was really clear that these are given freely. Like there's no expectation. The only time we ever found that people were hesitant to receive them was when they thought it was like some kind of, um, there was some kind of a marketing scheme Mm -hmm. or some kind of, there was a catch. Yeah. Like you don't, we don't, I mean, we're, we're so unaccustomed in our culture anymore to just receiving kindness, no strings attached. Yeah. Um, that there was sometimes that question and we found that if we just declared our intent, like we grew these flowers on our farm, we would like to give them to you because we think they would make you happy. Like that's it. Like people would welcome and receive that. So we took all this experience that we'd had alongside of the, I wouldn't say, um, a great depth of experience that I had gotten as a beginning flower farmer, but enough to be able to help like, you know, a backyard, um, grower to get a cut flower garden started. And we put that into a digital resource and just said, like, here you go. Here's here's what we can give you to help you get started. And so that's kind of what it made the jump to being um, more of an a, a team that anybody could join remotely yeah. and receive digital resources. Um, and so then what happened is we just continued every year we were growing Dahlia tubers, giving more and more. And we had at that point also launched having a Dahlia tuber sale from our farm. Okay. And that kind of became our, um, you know, we, again, that connection and teaching piece I kept coming back to and realized that I wasn't really 
interested in market farming. Yeah. Again, it's like a lot of efficiencies, production, time management. And really what I love the most was connecting with people Mm -hmm. and offering a space like for our farm to be a space where people could come and just rest and enjoy and and enjoy the beauty of flowers. And so we had kind of started, um, shifted again and we're pursuing like um, floral design workshops on our farm. Um, and then using the Dahlia tubers, um, as the kind of the, what kept the farm going financially. But um, what happened was the first year we gifted um, Dahlia tubers from our farm. The second year we realized that it was really helpful to put together more uh, resources and training and education. So we invited a team of 30 people from Washington um, to come and be a part of the team. And so then the Growing Kindness um, Project had a team of 30 in Washington that we equipped with resources. So we gave them dahlia plants or dahlia tubers and plant starts and things like that to get them going. And then like an actual in-person like workshop training. Um, and at that point, we were also sharing those digital resources with anybody who wanted to be a part of it. Um, but it was in that next year that we realized that there is this tremendous need and desire for more people to be a part of the project yeah so in order to make that happen we needed to like be able to fund it yeah and so that next year we donated a hundred percent of the funds from our daily tuber sale to really getting growing kindness launched and launching a website um putting together some actual you know the you know the backside of things like actually being able to organize these Mm -hmm. people digitally um and it was from there that it's really kind of grown and developed into what it is today. So now, um, so the first year, sorry, I've always like when I don't, when I skip chronologically, I'm like, oh, I have to go back one more year for this to make sense. Yeah. No. So that was the that year we had 75 ambassadors, all we call them Growing Kindness ambassadors. Okay. Um, who are our team who we equipped with actual resources. So we ship kits all over the U.S. and then our team continued to grow. We call them Growing Kindness Gardeners. Um, still do call them the Growing Kindness Gardeners. Those who joined dig, um, you know, remotely and and were accessing digital resources to help them yeah. be able to grow and give flowers. Um, and the, the, the interest just like went off the charts. And so we realized that if we were going to be able to do it, we needed to find a way to be able to sustain that growth. And, and Frank once said, um, no one ever goes poor by giving. And that's really something that I hold really dearly in my heart because I do believe it. I think we end up receiving so much more when we give. Mm-hmm. Never, there's never a lack when we pour out abundantly. But one thing that we were realizing was that even though we were giving 100% of our profits from the Dahlia Tuber sale, the project was growing so quickly, there was no way we were going to be able to sustain that growth unless we upscaled our farm. Yeah. And again, at coming back to that, what was best for our family, that wasn't a choice we were ready to make and wanted to make. And so that was the point when we applied to become a 501c3. Okay. And we um, developed the project and being membership driven and supported. Yeah. And so now we have several um, several levels of um, of membership based on what's best for those who are coming to the project and the level of support that they need. Um, and that's what keeps, that's what keeps the project going. That's what okay. keeps it financially stable, that and generous donations that we've received over the last year. Um, so we have three levels of membership. One, we continue to have our gardener, our gardener, um, um, tier, which is those people who come into that and join can be from anywhere in the world. 
and we provide them with digital resources so they get downloadable growing guides, um, specific things like here's how to, you know, here's how to divide your dahlia tubers, um, video, like tutorial videos, things like that to support them. And then as the project has grown, um, one thing that we realized is we're so much better together. You know, it's this beautiful tapestry when we all come in and shine in our strength. Mm -hmm. And so we started inviting contributors in. Um, so at first, those first years, it was kind of just me like, hey, <laughs> beginning farmer over here. I'll tell you what I know, but it's not a lot. Um, and I, I knew that I wasn't the sage on the stage. I didn't want to be the sage on the stage. I wanted to be able to bring people together to learn and grow together. And so we started inviting just Oh, we have the most incredible contributor team. So it's just uh, amazing flower farmers, floral designers from all across the nation who join and teach the team via Zoom classes. Um, and so our team gets access to these just incredible instructors to learn all these different aspects of growing flowers and designing flowers. Um, so our gardeners have access to those classes. And then we again we launched that ambassador team the first year. An ambassador team um, is by application. Okay. So we we choose to select. We're actually in the process right now. We have um, one more week open on our ambassador applications. Okay. Um, those are open nationwide, and those are people who are really passionate about the project and really want to get um, uh, just make an act like an engaged commitment to growing and giving flowers in their community, but also helping spread the word about this project and invite others into it. Yeah. So and, do you guys open that on an annual basis during what period of time? do you? Yeah. Guys great question. Well, that shifted like, Oh man, like that, you know, you look back over the past, the project, you know, of any, any, any new baby that you grow, you know, business, <laughs> a real baby, a nonprofit, <laughs> you look back and go like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Now I can see it. And so in the beginning, um, when we first launched our, national team. It was um, from the main stage at the Team Flower Conference okay. in California. Um, I was invited to speak and present there. And um, it was in January. So it made sense like, okay, great. January, the beginning of the calendar year. But um, so the last two years, we have had um, January be our launch for enrollment for the okay. new year. Um, gardeners, I should clarify, are <clears throat> lifetime enrollment. So once you sign up, you just keep getting all those digital resources. Okay. Um, but our ambassador team launched in January because of that. And we realized as the project's grown that actually it makes a lot more sense for us to be able to really kind of carry um, our team members through the gar like a gardening year from start to finish. And so, or like start to beginning again. And so we switched to being um, a spring launch. Okay. And so right now we're currently getting our applications in for our ambassador team. So we select a team of 100 okay. across the U.S., and those are the team that like really help grow and cheer on and represent the project. And those are the ones we equip with dahlia tubers from our farm and then from other generous farms who've donated to us over the years um, or the last two years. And, and um, yeah, so those applications are open now. It is an application process because we really want to make sure that we have individuals who are committed to serving a year and are really passionate, as passionate about the project. I can't, it shouldn't be fair to say as passionate as we are, but um, but love love the project and submission. I want to invite others to it. And then what happened as the project grew is we realized that there was such a demand for support and education and resources. And um, mm -hmm. we have so many brand new gardeners and farmers um, and beginning flower farmers coming to the project who just really needed some support on the logistics of like, how do I grow flowers? Which is why we felt like there needed to be more options for people to enter into resources and engage in that, which is why we launched the <clears throat> Cultivator 
okay. um, tier. So if you can kind of think about it being like one, two, and three, like yeah. cold, um, the gardener tier is like really like, I need digital resources. I love this project. Um, I want to, I want to kind of keep an eye on all, what it's doing and how it's growing. Um, but you know, I'm not ready to make a financial contribution to the project. Um, or I just don't need a high level of resources. And yeah. so the cultivator role allowed us to be able to wrap even more resources in for people and have the funding to be able to provide those. So our cultivator team has access to a community forum. Okay. Um, so the doors will open on that enrollment for cultivators, March 20th. Okay. And, um, they are really kind of, um, there are people who are just really like, I, I'm ready to learn more. Give me all the resources. So we support them with coaching. Um, they have access to all those contributor classes um, yep. and all the replays for them so they can come back and watch and learn at any point. And then um, they also get to um, get you know month, like resources sent to us from them directly to just really coach and cheer them along and be able to grow and give flowers. So yeah, it's been really a tremendous, tremendous learning process as you can imagine of trying to, trying to find the best ways to support the needs as we um, are hearing them and seeing them in a way that um, that just brings in as many people as possible to the projects. We really wanted to keep um, keep supporting you know worldwide as much as we could and that's why our cultivator role is open like any anywhere in the world. So it's just been really exciting to see um, see how empowering and impactful it has been for people to be able to have that like training and resources to be able to get going and, and, and do this like simple thing. But where if you've never grown flowers before, you want, you want to have some support and do yeah. that. So. Oh, for sure. So, um, so for like someone that signs up as an ambassador, um, that's your highest tier of membership, um, as well as kind of contribution and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, what is the, what are kind of the, the, action stuff that someone that was an ambassador would be taking in their area? Yeah, great question. So the, they're actively growing and sharing flowers. So we send them 20 Dahlia tubers and flower <clears throat> seeds. So they start a garden if they okay. haven't ever before. Many of them have dabbled in garden or some of them are experienced gardeners, but they start a garden and commit that those are the flowers they're going to be sharing the community. Um, so they're actively getting out in their community and sharing them. And one of the things, as I was saying, that we realized really early on is that helps so much when we can clarify our intent mm -hmm. to the person that we're giving flowers to. And so we realized that if we could literally label the flowers and say, these are given purely in kindness, we hope they make you happy. So we created a little project tag. It's just a little business card size tag that our members attach the flowers they're gifting. And it says these flowers were grown and shared in love and care and hope that they brighten your day. Yeah. Um, so just really making that really explicitly clear. But they also have our project logo on them and a call to action on the back if anybody was interested in learning more about the project. So they're helping to share um, share the mission of the project within their communities as they're gifting flowers. <clears throat> and then they're also helping to share their stories um, in whatever their circles are, whether that's social media or they're in their local community, just sharing the story of um, the project and what its mission is and how inviting others to become a part of it. Um, so it's one important role the ambassadors have. They also help us to cheer on and support the other team members. So our ambassador team um, helps us to share when uh, things are happening in the project. So like when we're opening a, 
um, opening the doors for the launch for Cultivator. They'll help us shout that out and get the word out and invite people into that. And then they also help um, let people know where resources are. Like, hey, this is, you know, this is a great resource I used. Here's where you can go and get it. Um, every year we do a holiday, we call it the Holiday Cheer Campaign. Okay. Um, so we donate um, here for us, from for my family and farm, um, through the project, we have donated um, centerpieces to our local food bank um, each year for the last four years, actually. Um, but for that nationally, we created this like um, digital kit of resources, so everything anyone would need. So there's a design, you know, floral design video, list of ingredients that we would need, directions on how to reach out in your community, you know, different organizations you could give to during the holidays, mm-hmm. and ways that people can get out and share. Um, like evergreen centerpieces during the holidays. And so like that's a, a resource and a campaign that's available to anyone who wants to be involved in it. And our ambassadors help share the word and invite, you know, invite people like, hey guys, this is going on right now. You can come be a part of it with me. Um, so they kind of just help, like they're like the megaphone for the yeah. project um, to kind of help out in sharing what's going on and inviting other people into it. So they, and they serve a year. It's really, really one thing we discovered again, when you look back and see how we're growing is that like, we never wanted to break up the band, like the team, yeah. the, the, it's a hundred people, but it is truly the most inspiring, beautiful thing. So we meet together quarterly, um, and uh, over zoom because, uh, because we're so geographically spread out. Yeah. Um, and then we support each other in our online forum as well. And the friendships and the connections and the community that forms in that team of 100 are so beautiful and inspiring and we really, no one ever wants to leave. And so we realize there's no reason we need to have these people who are passionate about the project and really connected and educated in what the mission of the project is, like exit the project and go back to being, you know, like a gardener when they are really engaged in wanting to keep learning and growing and helping the project grow. So we also, um, we offer our ambassadors option to come back as alumni. Okay. So they stay totally looped into the project. They have access to all the training and education and resources every year. And then they help us cheer on the incoming ambassadors and like serve as coaches and mentors to them. So, so it's been really like the project is so, so often I realized like, we don't know what we're doing yet, <laughs> um, which I mean, uh, you know, you have that moment of like, yeah, because I never intended to start a nonprofit organization. There was just this thing that we loved and we knew that it was impactful and powerful and wanted to invite more people into it. And so um, we're really learning as we go yeah, and learning how to scale this, you know, in a way that we can reach more people, but also still that the like the the beauty of those personal connections and like being supported personally in a team like stays true. So, um, yeah, we're learning and growing every year, but each year the team just gets more and more just the people that come to this project. And we, we, we jokingly kind of say, but it's true. Like our, or we've turned like giving flowers into a team sport (laughs) and our, our goal is making people happy and our mascot is flowers. Like, (laughs) But it really, like, to be a part of that and to be looped in with people who have that same like mind and heart for, yeah. like, looking for needs in their community and not just looking for it, wanting to do something, mm-hmm. um, to bring all those people together, like, it really, truly is the kindest team around. Like, we're just absolutely floored over and over again at their generosity in their communities and their support for each other and their support for cheering on all the members of the team. So, yeah. That's so cool. So um, right now, you said you guys have members uh, around the world. What are all, like, 
I guess, um, like, how, what country, like, in general, is kind of like a generalization of, like, around the world, where yeah. are you guys at? Um, really a little bit everywhere. Sometimes when we, you know, uh, have a gardener enrollment form pop through, it's just shocking. Like, last week, someone enrolled from Istanbul. Um, okay. So really, truly, everywhere in the world. Mm. I would say our highest concentration right now is absolutely the U.S. Mm-hmm. We have lots of members from Canada, um, especially because our access to resources are so similar and shared. And we're working, you know, behind the scenes on developing those pieces of what what that's going to look like in the coming years to develop ambassador teams in other countries. Yeah. Obviously, there's a lot of logistics that we're working on figuring out before that launches. But our cultivators, we have lots of cultivators who joined last year from Canada, um, lots from England and UK, and actually surprisingly interesting um, demographic of people from South Africa. So, okay. um, yeah, it's been really, really humbling and inspiring and exciting to think about how like this little thing that started here in Conway like yeah. is reaching around the world because like we want team we want community we want kindness and it just I think brings those three things together in a yeah. really um exciting way so yeah well and then like I'm you guys are doing the research and all this stuff but the like in my head I'm like when it comes to growing flowers and stuff like you've got limited um climates and stuff yes. that allow you to do that. Yeah. So then you get people all over the world and that drastically changes how that works. Yes. Yes. And that's one thing that's been really wonderful with our contributors coming in and being able to bring people who are experienced in really different climates. Like, so for example, um, like I said, dahlias have kind of become like the mascot of the project just because that's how it started, mm-hmm. but also in a really, um, less tangible way because they are like kindness. Like we have no idea what, you know, one single little dahlia tuber that was grown on our farm five years ago could now be hundreds and hundreds that are reaching, you know, every, you know, being grown in gardens all over, you know, the, the nation. And that's how kindness is as well. Like one little act of kindness has the power to ripple out in ways that we really don't know where, where it will end. Yeah. Um, and, but, um, I apologize. I got off on a tangent. No, you're good. <laughs> we bring me back to the question. Sorry. Oh, just, um, how do you guys educate people that right. are trying to different grow different growing zones. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, so so dahlias have become like a really we have done a lot of education around them because they're just a really great flower um for people to be able to grow because of the ways that they um grow so prolifically and then they can be grown even more and shared even more via the tubers. So last year um we were able to bring in educators who are really experienced in growing in significantly cl- different climates. Mm-hmm. So um one of uh, a good friend of mine who I've connected with through Team Flower, um, Julio, who has um, a business, his social media handle is The Flower Hat. He um, came and taught um, our class last year how to grow dahlias in really cold climates where the growing, okay. where the growing um, season is very short, very challenging. So that's what he does. He's in Montana. Okay. Um, and so that's, that's his area of expertise. So he shared you know, all the tips and tricks and ins and outs of how to be successful with that. And then at the same time, later on in the um, year last year, we had Eileen, who's farm gal flowers, um, came and taught the team how to grow dahlia tubers in hot climates. So she grows in Florida, which okay. has typically been seen as like, no, you can't grow dahlia tubers there. But she's she broke it down for the team and shared how to do that. And so okay. there's some there are some things that are really... Um, just overriding general, you know, things with growing, you know, kind of like baking, like there's essential things that like, if you know how to, you know, 
measure the flour and, you know, mix the things, you know, you're, you're going to get pretty consistent results. Same with flour, growing flowers, like the resources that we've tried to provide are still a lot of ways, very beginner level. So like, here are the basics. You know, like if you can do these things, you're going to get results. Um, but then we've also been able to really kind of like build on that and extend that through the contributor classes as well. Like here are some really, you know, um, like the nitty gritty details of like, here's how to do this more advanced level skill of like propagating dahlias mm-hmm. or, you know, growing in a hot climate, growing in a cold climate. So we definitely have not perfected that by any means yet, because as you know, there's so many growing zones, yeah. you know, throughout the world. So a lot of the resources are really just, um, basic gardening resources um, so that we can make sure that we're educating everybody in every growing zone. But as the project grows and develops and we have the capacity to develop more of that training and education, we're really hoping to specialize more into having more specific, um, you know, resources that are, um, are targeted for specific growing zones. Yeah. That's very cool. Um, Cool. So then, um, the other thing that was intriguing to me is you were saying you've got you're trying to build out um, 100 members for your ambassador team. Uh-huh. Does that mean you and your group are basically interviewing and going through with 100, like over 100? Because if you're trying to get to 100, yeah. you have to do more yeah. than that. Yes. Yeah, so um, we, last year we see, so we, again, you learn and grow as you go. And we realized, um, you know, after that first year that, um to help people really understand what the ambassador role was and also to make sure that we were bringing candidates to that role who were really passionate about wanting uh, wanting to do that. Um, we needed to make sure there was some education and training that happened before we even opened the applications. Okay. And so that first year, we... Um, not Sorry, not the first year. Last year, we launched um, what we called Kindness Camp. So it was like a one-hour Zoom training on what it is to be an ambassador and how to apply prior to opening the ambassador application. So we had over 200 applicants last year okay. after people had watched the video and, or replay or attended live. Um, so yeah, the response has been really incredible. Um, and we are expecting that we will be sitting in a similar area of applicants to review here in a week. Wow. Um, they're all pouring in right now and it's like, it's so absolutely beautiful and inspiring and exciting. I can't, it's hard to put words to when you open these applicant applications and read people's intentions and goals and hopes, you know, and what they want to do in their communities and why being a part of this team could help them be able to do it. Um, and how they want to just help keep sharing the mission of this project. But yeah, it's a really big job. And that's been one thing that's been like really an incredible process as this project has grown. So the first year, um, that we launched the project, I hired um, a virtual assistant to be able to help develop the website and kind of get some of the systems in place to be able to roll all these people in, you know, remotely and have access to these resources. And then the second year, a really incredible individual who was a member in the project at that point, her name's Heather, um, reached out and said, you know, I have some project management skills. I really love this project and what it's doing. I'm happy to volunteer in any way that I can. And that has led to a really, really, I mean, Heather has poured her heart and soul into this project right alongside of me. Um, and so she's been helping support building the systems, leading the team. And we're working on as being a beginning, um, nonprofit organization so far, we are absolutely volunteer okay. supported, driven, organized, led. Like my intent has never been for this to become a career for me. 
Yeah. Um, I really feel like this project has been, I guess the best way I could put it is it almost feels like I'm a surrogate parent. Um, <laughs> like it's mine to hold, it's mine to nurture and care for, but just to get it to the point where it's healthy enough and strong enough where I can like put it into the hands of all the people who really want to like pour in and carry it and support it and nourish it and like nurture it and help it continue to grow. And like we were talking about earlier, I think that when we each come in with our strengths, like things just develop in a way that beyond what we could have expected. And so the last, you know, two years of being a nonprofit, it's been a hundred percent volunteer operated. And my goal is to just continue in that role and serving on the board and keeping the pro, you know, developing the project and keeping it going eventually obviously we're we actually not eventually obviously need we desperately need staffing right now yeah um but we're just making it work so heather has volunteered right beside me all you know from the from the down in the trenches um just keeping all the pieces on the backside, all the plates spinning um so we've worked together to co-lead the ambassador team and then heather's worked diligently to develop the systems that are um carrying the project right now but our really our hope and dream is that we can move into having full-time staff in the next year um we're we're getting really close to being able to make that happen it's just really hinges on being able to have the membership that we need to be able to support that and the generosity of donors we've been um so humbled and encouraged and just floored time and again when people have reached out and said, you know, I, I, I think this project matters. What you're doing matters. Like we want to financially support it. It's such, it's such a, um, it's just such an incredible feeling to know that there are people that have our back and that are cheering us on like that and want to really just keep the, keep the plate spinning and keep all the systems running and, and keep it growing. So, yeah. So, yeah. Very cool. Well, that's awesome. I love what you guys are doing, and it's neat that it's it's continued to grow even outside of not just this area, but the, this country and just all the different aspects. Um, and uh, like you said before, um, kindness is something that our world is sorely lacking in at this time. And so um, anything that's continuing to put that into the, the world is, is, a, is a, good, a good thing right now. Yeah. So very cool. Well, I like to end every podcast with some rapid fire questions. So, <laughs> so the Brace first, yourself. <laughs> yes. So the first one is what purchase of a hundred dollars or less have you enjoyed the most in the last three months? Um, I think I would have to say I finally <clears throat> jumped on the bandwagon and bought what's called a soil blocker. It's this really cool tool that allows you to essentially make dirt blocks, which sounds very basic, but to plant seeds in. Okay. Um, and they start in like these little cubes of dirt instead of in the plastic trays. Okay. Um, so it's really, really cool because it's, you know, again, we're getting away from plastic, which is great. And then it also grows healthier plants, which is great. So yeah, that's been something that I finally jumped, <laughs> jumped in and made the purchase and I've been really excited about. So that's great. Yeah. It's funny that you say you jumped on the bad bandwagon. Cause I'm like, I have no idea what that is. Yeah. So very cool. Um, who is the most influential person, uh, in your life outside of your family? Oh my goodness. This is a good question. So I know I was primed and I knew what these questions were, but I was thinking in my family. And I think that that's because my family is so central to everything I've done. Like we talked about earlier, you know, Shane has been, we've gotten to grow together and he has been my biggest 
cheerleader, supporter, um, encourager. So, yeah. Nice. All right. Um, all right. So this is a fill in the blank question. So uh, I know this is weird, but I've always wanted to blank. Oh man. Okay. We're going to get really vulnerable here. We were just talking about this as we were walking in today. I really would love to get to host a podcast for the Growing Kindness Project someday. That's what a, a dream and a hope and a wish that I have. Yeah, that's very cool. I think that would be a huge um, hit. And I think that would be a really positive way for the um, cause you, what you mentioned, even going back to the very beginning of realizing, um, bringing the flowers to the, uh, senior living area and giving them out and realizing that when that sherry is, story is shared, it also provides those people with benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you guys are doing so much and there's so much going on and you're hearing all about these things. Um, and you have direct connections to all of these people that are sharing about it. And I'm sure they would be very excited to be able to jump on a podcast and, and share what they're going to do in their community. And it, I think it'd be cool to hear how has what you started in a small town, how has that played out in South Africa or how has that played out in Canada or, or other parts of the U S just see how it's evolved and how that changes. So yeah. That would yeah. be awesome. Thank you for that encouragement coming from someone who's, who's doing the thing that means a lot. <laughs> All right. Um, who is an interesting or fascinating person that I should interview next? Oh, man. Local, locally, right? Uh, it really can be anywhere. I've kind of opened that up to, to um, whoever. Um, locally, one person that I have been really interest, um, enjoying learning from is Janae Fletcher. Um, she is a really incredible mentor and educator on just mental health and well-being. Um, and she actually is local here. Um, I think that she would have some just incredible perspective and um, insight and tips and tools to be able to share with our community. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. All right. And lastly, what piece of advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Oh, heavens. That's <laughs> such a good one. Trust the process. Um, I think that there's just such my 20 year old self, especially my 40 year old self is learning to outgrow this, but, um, just knowing that don't look around, just look ahead and trusting that you, good things take time to grow. They take time to put roots down. And just because you're not blooming at the same time as somebody else doesn't mean that there's not really beautiful, important work of, you know, growth and developing happening. Um, I wish I could have leaned in and trusted that a lot more then to know that it is not a race. We are not all supposed to be blooming at the same time. We do it in our own pace, in our own way. And I guess that's another really big thing is just like lean into your strengths. I wish I could have told myself that then knowing that trying to pursue things that took like high levels of decisiveness and organization and things like that weren't my strength. Pursuing things where I got to connect and like help encourage and cheer on people that was, and I, I wish I would have maybe given myself a little more permission early on or less, com- less of the comparison game early on to, yeah. to step into that. So, yeah, that's very cool. And I think a lot of people need to hear that as well. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the yeah. podcast today. Yeah. It's really uh, in- so f- exciting and fun to get to share the story. Thank you for hearing all the parts of it. It's just, there's so many, um, spinning pieces right now, but I really appreciate you taking the time to 
get to help share about what the project is and does. And hopefully if someone's listening that's interested, they will reach out and contact us. We still are building local, te- you know, our local team as well. So we would love to have anybody that's interested come and find us and be a part of this team. Yeah, for sure. So. And we'll all look forward to the podcast coming out. All right. Thank you so much. <laughs> all right, Islanders. I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Deanna Kitchen for joining us on the podcast today. And thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other Islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode, you can go to KaminoCommons.com slash podcast. That's KaminoCommons.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening and see you next time.